Welcome to Have You Heard, the AABP podcast. My name is Dr. Fred Gingrich, and I'm at the fifth AABP recent graduate conference, uh, which we just kicked off this morning, and I'm here with one of our speakers, Dr. Sarah Lenine. Sarah, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure thing. I am Dr. Sarah Lenine. I work for Elanco Animal Health as a technical consultant, beef cattle nutritionist. I am based in Oklahoma. Great. Thanks, Sarah. And today our topic is preparing your beef cows for calving. Very important topic. I'm uh, sure that everyone's ready to get home from the conference and, and get into calving season for, for 2022. So uh, I asked Sarah to join us today and talk to us about what veterinarians can do to work with their producers and, and prepare uh, that herd for a successful calving season and, and get those calves on the ground so they uh, have a successful uh, uh, grow season too. So let's start off, Sarah, and talk about how does preparing for calving help cow-calf producers have a successful calving season? I think preparedness in anything we do is really important to success. So as cow-calf producers, if we can make sure that we are preparing the cow nutritionally, both with nutrition pre-calving and post-calving, it's really important to success of the cow and her ability to breed back after hopefully having a healthy calf. If we can prepare the nutrition for the actual calf too and what we're going to do with them at weaning time, that's critical. But I think preparedness reaches far beyond just nutrition. It reaches into management, having facilities um, that we know we're going to use, having tools that we ne might need out in the field uh, to deal with challenging situations, and then also having a health program lined out, whether that's vaccines or any sort of health management. All of that is going to really fold into preparedness. Hopefully, that's going to mean a healthy calf that gains successfully, weans pounds of weight that's desired by that producer, and then also breeds, breeds back. Absolutely. Preparedness uh, just crosses about every uh, yeah. segment of the profession for both veterinarians and producers. Let's start off and talk about environment. You know, what facility and environmental considerations might veterinarians talk with with, uh, with producers? Two that really come to the forefront of my mind when veterinarians are speaking to producers are first tying back into that preparedness. If producers need to call in a veterinarian for some sort of situation, having the proper facilities for that veterinarian to properly assist them is critical. And having that lined out beforehand, so if there's a need to restrain a cow, having those tools available so we're not running around trying to search for them when the veterinarian arrives. Also, consider where calving is going to take place. Sometimes it's more desirable to calve in confinement because it's um, often more convenient to check cows at different hours of the day. However, it also does lend itself to an increased pathogen load in specific areas. So you might consider calving in the cow's more natural habitat, if possible, out in larger pastures, enabling her to experience some of her normal behavioral uh, characteristics around calving, but also calving in a cleaner environment and not allowing that pathogen load to maybe become concentrated. Yeah. And that, you know, I think that the, those are great tips. I would encourage our listeners, if you haven't heard our podcast that I did with uh, Dale Grotolution and David Smith on the Sandhills calving system, that ties right into what Sarah and I are talking about as far as the environment. And then uh, 
you know, every veterinarian has dealt with, uh, you get called out onto an operation and there's absolutely no facilities. Have those talks with your producers in advance. So, you know, you're not, uh, uh, you know, using the tree out there. And so we have a good place to, to manage these situations when we need to manage them. So you touched a little bit about vaccines and vaccines are, are very important, uh, to both the beef and dairy industry. So what are there vaccines that producers should consider pre-calving? So my experience with vaccines, obviously, as a nutritionist, is I lean heavily on the veterinarian. Um, I think there needs to be a close veterinarian-producer relationship where the veterinarian can help to give a vaccine program recommendation. Whatever that recommendation is, I hope it's reflective of their specific region. So deciding what vaccine is best for that producer based on what health challenges they may see specifically, but also leaning on that veterinarian for new research. Um, I found that there's a lot of research right now in the industry going on in terms of modified live versus killed vaccines at the right time. Um, and so trying to really work with the veterinarian to make sure that you are providing those cows most contemporary option based on the newest data, I think is something that we should challenge ourselves in the industry to do. Um, but also just making sure cows get vaccinated, period. Um, I think it's really critical to cow health. It's a great insurance policy um, that mm-hmm. we know for a fact works out in the field, just making sure it's the right time, the right vaccine, and um, trying to promote that overall herd health. Yeah, and a, and a critical component that I think every veterinarian is aware of, which is important to, stre- to stress to producers, is uh, cows have to be in a good plane of nutrition to f- respond to those vaccines immunologically. So what nutritional considerations should be, you know, should we talk to producers about uh, both before and after calving? And are they different? Right, that's a great question. Um, so I think, um, as Dr. Fred mentioned, Nutrition supports the immunological response. So if we don't have proper nutrition, we are not only giving up productivity, um, we are also not supporting that calf in terms of health response in a health challenge or even vaccine response. So we want to make sure that we're doing that. And and nutrition is going to be different pre-calving as it will be post-calving. Um, the cow's nutrient requirement is going to go up pretty drastically in the last trimester compared to the first and second um, trimester of that time period. So consider that the last 90 days. We do need to provide the cow a ration at that point in the last 90 days that really meets requirement. So that's one question that we often get is how do I know what the cow needs? Um, And that sometimes is not straightforward. If you were just to Google cow requirements, you might get a lot of different answers. (laughs) Um, So you can lean on nutritionists if you know one, anyone that's working in nutritional capacity at a feed store. But I lean heavily on the extension world. Mm -hmm. Extension has some phenomenal resources where they put it in English or so to speak. So your cow needs this many pounds of protein or energy per day at this time period, or you can look at it on a percentage basis. So trying to match what you are providing with what the cow needs during that time period is critical. And you can kind of think of it as a step up. So as she moves through gestation, stepping up those nutrients, and it's going to maximize at peak lactation. So when that cow has calf on its her side, she is going to be in peak lactation, um, And we want to make sure she has also peak nutrients of the whole entire year during that time period. And then she starts to step down in terms of what she needs nutritionally. Um, So the question becomes is what am I giving her? 
Yeah. So sometimes we know exactly what she needs, but the only way to tell what you're giving her is to use feed labels if you have one and use assay services. So forage assays, things of that sort to get back exactly what your protein energy is. So we can make sure that we're matching what we're providing to what the cow actually needs. Yeah. And that's something that I think some producers overlook is they don't test forages. It's critical, correct? Right. right. Yeah. Yep. Forage testing is really, really important. Very underutilized. Um, a lot of times in cow-calf nutrition, we do it as our ancestors did. Yeah. So <laughs> a lot of times, you know, that's how my grand great-grandfather did it. These are the resources I have. Therefore, this is how I'm going to do it. And I try and challenge producers to just be more precise. In cow-calf mm, nutrition, mm-hmm. we tend to make a generalized job of it. So when I have green grass, I graze them. When I have brown grass, I go buy something such as a supplement and feed them. Well, let's add some precision to it. Let's see what that grass is in terms of protein and energy by clipping pastures when that forage is growing. And then let's see what the harvested forage is or whatever is being supplied during dormant season to make sure we understand what that is in terms of nutrient composition on the major nutrients, but also minerals. Um, So that way we can make use of it. Forage assays are relatively inexpensive. If you do them twice a year at $30 a pop, you can get really good information because really growing season is drastically changing. We're seeing great changes in weather patterns that make it vastly different than great grandfather did than Mm -hmm. maybe you did two years ago. So we really need to consider that in how we address cow nutrition and add some precision. Yeah. That is a, a great point. You know, that visual inspection uh, for forages just is not <laughs> accurate enough to be precise on our herds. But one thing that we can use visual inspection for is body condition scoring, right? And so talk a little bit about, you know, how we can visually inspect these cows uh, to body score them and, and assess their plane of nutrition. And, and again, when should that be performed? Sure. So now we're going to reverse jets and say body condition scoring is old and mm-hmm. still great. Yes. So it is something that great grandfather might have done, but it's still tremendously useful in the field. It's still the best way for us to tell the cow's nutrient status. So we're talking on a one to nine scale, one being emaciated, nine being obese. We want to stay in the middle. So it is the expectation that a cow that calves once a year is going to have some some highs and lows mm-hmm. on body condition. We expect that. However, we want to stay away from kind of a roller coaster ride of extreme peaks and valleys. So if we can keep that cow in between a four and a six all year round, we're doing a pretty good job. Precision would be better if we kept her in between a five and a six, that would be even better. Um, But if we try and limit the peaks and valleys, that is absolutely critical. Body condition score done twice a year, in my opinion, most importantly done just before calving. Her body condition score that she calves in is the single biggest indicator of her ability to breed back and keep within that one calf per year cycle to help us pay the bills. Um, So if we can calve with about 50 extra pounds on her, so depending on cow size and type, if we want to calve in a six, that way we give her a little bit of room to jostle, six and a half even, um, then we can have a cow that's in ideal condition through through lactation. Um, The other time to body condition score, I would say, is in the summer or when there is a change going from one type of nutrition to the other. So if it's a cool season, uh, forage system changing when that um, 
growing season changes and get an idea of body condition score. If that is at a time that's at the end of lactation, that's good too, because you can kind of get a good guide of how well she did through the whole calving event. Um, And that can be a good indicator of what kind of nutritional program we need to design for that cow. It is much cheaper to keep a cow an ideal body condition score than it is to let her drop and pay the money to recover her nutritionally. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, we talked about rebreeding, uh, that that's a very strong indicator of that. What about weaning weights? You know, how, how producers make money is selling, selling calves. So how does that body condition score in the nutritional program affect that? We've done a great job of linking body condition score quantitatively to numerous outcomes. So as we mentioned, conception rate, if she calves in too low of a body condition score, we could give up about 10% of the future calf crop. So in a 100-cow herd, by not feeding my cow correctly in late gestation, I potentially gave up 10 of my next breeding's calves. The cost of those 10 calves more than paid for her nutrition to keep her in that body condition score. When we talk about the calves that actually are born during that present calving season and lactation, the number that we've seen from research is she gives up about, those calves give up about 0.2 pounds of average daily gain per day if they are born to a cow that is in a nutrient deficient state. 0.2 0.2 pounds over a 100-day period. So I, out the door, my calves are going to be 20 pounds less. That's 20 pounds less sellable wean weight by not feeding mom. And that's just talking about at the cow-calf operation. For yeah. any producers that retain ownership, we know at the feed yard, those calves perform less in terms of productivity. They also get treated more, generally less healthy. And that has implications on them long-term at the feed yard, but also if she's a replacement heifer, Probably not a good idea to bring her back in the herd if she was born to a nutrient-deficient dam, which we've seen really clearly with some of the generational research. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That is so important, and that's – it can be difficult for veterinarians to convince, especially maybe some of our small cow-calf producers. We heard Christine Navarre talk this morning about how – you know, a large segment of that industry maybe isn't in it to make profit. Right. But in the end, everybody still wants to make enough money. In, and that is a great way for veterinarians to get involved in consulting and demonstrate that increase uh, in, in wean weights. Uh, Dr. Mark Hilton, that's a, a friend and colleague of both of us with, with Alanco, uh, did a podcast with us and get, told a story about how he did that for a producer and the producer wanted to pay him more afterwards. So <laughs> it does work. And yeah, I would encourage sure. our listeners to get involved in these nutrition programs on your cow calf herds because it doesn't take long to get that return if you're, it's a season, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk a little bit about minerals, you know, is, you know, how is a mineral program important? And then again, how can veterinarians get involved in nutrition and, and making sure that the, that the herd is on a good uh, mineral program and total nutrition program? Mineral programs are critical, and I think they're often oversimplified and undervalued. So we tend to put out mineral when we get a chance, sometimes not at all. It tends to be when whatever minerals at the local feed store yes. nearby. So we don't, again, have a lot of precision with mineral programs. A cow is going to eat mineral highly inconsistently anyway. If we also inconsistently put it out, mm. then we have kind of a double variation there where that cow's infrequently receiving mineral. Most cows in the country do need additional mineral 
in addition to their forage or whatever the base nutrition program is. The veterinarian is boots on the ground. Okay, veterinarians are on the ground with cow-cow producers much more frequently than any nutritionist I work with or myself. So they're the ones that are going to have the biggest impact on saying nutritionally, mineral needs to be part of your program and it needs to be fed, and also talking with producers about what program they need to be including. Um, one great thing nutritionally is we often know in regions of the country what mineral is deficient. So if you go and work with Extension or if you go to the local co-op, a lot of their mineral programs will be designed for that specific region. So it might be a high mag mineral, you know, zinc or whatever is going to be a problem in that region. So chances are if you buy a regionalized mineral, you're going to capture what you need to capture in that that cow's requirement. But if we really want to take a step back and look at all, what all that cow is consuming, water, feed resources, look at what the mineral is in those through testing, and then say, what does she need? A lot of times we double up salt. So I see a lot of producers that will provide mm -hmm. a mineral plus a salt block. Mm -hmm. Remember, salt is a limiter on intake. So mm -hmm. if we provide mm -hmm. a lot of salt, we're actually limiting intake and increasing water consumption. So you're reducing the amount of to total nutrients that are being consumed, which isn't a good plan. Okay, so the veterinarian can work with them to make sure that Minerals are being consistently supplied, and the right mineral is being supplied. So we want to make sure we cover whatever deficiency might be present in that forage or soil. And then also there are different types of minerals. This is a more complex topic, but just making sure whether they're using the most bioavailable form. Sometimes they're more expensive, but there's good research on them to show mm -hmm. you get some bang for your buck. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yep. And. Another thing that is often fed on cow-calf operations and probably should be fed on a lot more cow-calf operations is ionophores, right? So let's sure. talk a little bit about the importance of ionophores. You know, I think that's a question that veterinarians should ask their cow-calf producers. And then what message should veterinarians be relaying to those producers to encourage them to feed an ionophore? Right. So ionophore is referring to a non-medicated feed additive. Um, it was most commonly known as monensin mm -hmm. or rumensin out in the field. Um, it is approved for the use in cows, even though we see mostly used in feed yard. Um, so for cows specifically, rumensin is a phenomenal tour, one tool because first it's cheap. It costs yes. about two cents per head per cow to feed in a wintering feeding pro program, especially. That's pretty cheap for 100 days compared to other things that we could be feeding. Um, and also the outcome is very predictable. So lots of research on the outcome. It's predictable. One of the challenges with rumensin and probably why we don't hear it mentioned in cow-calf as much as we should is that first off, it's a coccidiostat. So it's going to help control coccidiosis. In a mature cow, usually we don't associate her with coccidiosis. However, it may provide a cleaner environment. Yeah. So especially back to those people that are going to calve in confinement, if we have coxie being shed in the feces and then new calves are being exposed to that, it can become a problem in the calf over time. So it may not be an issue with mom, but we'd like to reduce shedding. So that's the first advantage of a ionophore. The second one is going to be an improvement in feed efficiency. So right now, feed prices are through the roof, yep. okay? So an improvement in feed efficiency should ring bells to people any day of the week, but especially when feed is very expensive. And this improvement in feed efficiency is 5 to 
So in a cow operation, one of the challenges with ionophores is how do you measure that? Feed efficiency is really easy to measure in a feed yard yep. where we have feed in a bunk and we know what, in, what went in and what did not. In a cow operation, if we measure that in terms of forage intake, I'll just use a round bale as an example. So if we put out round bales enough for those cows to consume 2 to 2.5% two of her body weight every day in forage, over a 100 to 120-day dormancy feeding period for round bales, that means that per cow, that ionophore is going to save me about 250 pounds per cow. Okay, that's quite a bit when we look at that over numerous cows. So that means I can either put out less round bales or I can carry more over because that cow is going to have an energetic advantage in the rumen from rumensin where she's getting more energy supplied to her. Therefore, less needs to be consumed with the same performance. So we don't see any sort of drops in performance when we feed it. We often supply it through a supplement of some sort mm -hmm. to cows at 200 milligrams per head per day and a minimum of a one-pound supplement fed daily. And we get a big return on it to where it pays for itself many times over through that feed efficiency response. So again, very underutilized. Um, it's reproductively safe. So anytime there is an approved feed additive for a reproducing animal, it has to be proven to be reproductively safe. Not only was this done that, but it actually had research from the 1980s as well as most recently at the University of Arkansas that showed an advantage in reproductive performance that's not on label, but something that research had shown. It was kind of interesting. So you see some different benefits to Remensen, very underutilized, yes. um, but a great feeding tool um, if they're able to access it. Yeah, and and calling out Mark Hilton again, he did, uh, um, courtesy of Alanco, thank you, he did provide us with a Rumensen calculator spreadsheet that's on the AABP website under the Beef Health Management uh, Committee page resources. So I'd encourage our members to look at that, and we'll, we'll include that in our podcast notes. And, you know, I was sitting here uh, at the recent grad conference, Sarah, and I was talking to some uh, um veterinarians and uh, they were talking about their struggles with opening that door to consulting. And I've always felt like, and again, Mark has suggested you ask questions. So I would encourage if you're driving around in your truck today and you're headed to a, uh, your, your uh, cow calf farm, ask them if they're Feeding, you know, what minerals are you feeding? Mm -hmm. Did you do a forage analysis on your forages this year? Um, and are you feeding, you know, uh, rumensin uh, this year? They're great questions because if they say no, then you can follow up and 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 work with them on that. That gets your foot in the door. So I encourage all of you to do that. So we understand the challenges of opening that door, but ask questions, and that's a good way to to get that door open. And and another thing that we often talk about is that you know veterinarians were trained to look at pathogens associated with disease. You know, we've talked about a dirty environment and. And so we identify coccidiosis and now we have the cause, right? right, right. I mean, that's what we do. <laughs> yep. And, uh, but however, a lot of times it's nutrition, it's management, and that has huge impacts on herd health, uh, production, weaning weights, breeding back, reproductive efficiency. What, what do you think? How can veterinarians help producers manage health and production through a systems approach versus this, you know, disease pathogen approach? What can they yep. do? Yep. I challenge myself as a nutritionist to think holistically, too. So yep. when I work with producers, it's not just nutrition. 
It's veterinary health, it is management, it is labor, it is facilities. I think we need to be looking at the whole picture because I think we've proven in the industry through, if you look at the timeline of mortality rates, the timeline on pounds of wean weight, we're not necessarily making drastic Mm -hmm. advancement. So anytime that we cannot just focus on a singular component, but focus on holistic, the big picture, I think we're going to do much more to drive the industry forward and really be able to help customers and clients that way. As you mentioned, going on there and asking questions, half the time, those are questions that that producer is not thought of. Yes. So you're going to ask a question. They're like, well, I don't know. I haven't really (laughs) thought about that. And that's going to open up a discussion to really challenge us, especially in the cow-calf industry. I think sometimes we, we have high expectations of cows, but we also allow them to do what they've always done. So Dr. Hilton always points out to me, if I was a business owner, would I pay an employee to come in every day? eat breakfast and lunch at the office, and then sit on their phone all day. I'm like, no, of course I wouldn't pay somebody to do that. He goes, so why would you have a cow and keep her in your herd if she's not being productive? It's the same concept, but a lot of times we don't know that. Mm -hmm. We don't measure productivity the way that we can sit here and tell you to measure productivity. Um, Or we keep that cow in the herd because it's simpler than taking her to town. You know, things of that sort. So I think we can challenge to go beyond disease state, beyond pathogens for veterinary. We can challenge me to go beyond what's in the forage and nutrition. Mm -hmm. And we can really start to pair things up. In my job at Elanco, I work with the veterinarians more than I do nutritionists. Mm-hmm. Half of the time when we go to producers, I go with a veterinarian because we are constantly thinking about things that interact and what do you think about this? And it's a tremendous relationship that I think as an industry, we need to make um, a more uh, reoccurring <laughs> event to be working together with this systems type of approach so we're not so singular in our vision. Absolutely. Well, as we talked about today, uh, there was two P words that Sarah mentioned that I think we'll recall here, and that is preparedness and precision. And so I would encourage our listeners to continue to be prepared, uh, talk to your cow-calf producers about uh, the nutrition of the herd, do the body condition scoring, as, as, as Sarah mentioned, and be precise. Be precise with the minerals. Um, be precise with forage analysis and developing these rations for the herds. And 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 work with nutritionists and extension to do that. And remember to ask questions. Ask your producers what their goals are. And work with them to accomplish them as a team. So I want to thank you, Sarah, very much for not only speaking at the recent grad conference, but taking a little bit of time to record this podcast with us. Thank you so much for having me. 